That's right. Friday night. It is the 24th of February, 2023. And good evening. What up with you fine peeps? It is your show tonight. Your show. I am here for you. I am here to answer your questions, bring philosophy to bear like a giant howitzer on the nuts of your future <laughs> so that your future is not nuts. And um, it's funny. And I just, by the by, I was reading about the song Get Together One More Time by 5 to 1, 5 to 1, by The Doors. Oh, what is 5 to 1? Nobody knows what 5 to 1 is. And I think the uh, Densmore, the keyboardist, asked Jim Morrison, what does 5 to 1 mean? He says, that's for me to know and you to find out, says Jim Morrison. Um, not particularly confusing to me. 5 to 1. 1 in 5. Five to one, baby, one in five. No one here gets out alive. You get yours, baby. I'll get mine. Gonna make it, baby, in our prime. One in five. One in five boys is sexually abused as a child. Jim Morrison was sexually abused as a child. I assume anally raped since he had a fetish for anal sex as an adult. So, yeah, five to one, baby, one in five. No one here gets out alive. The nihilism of his music came from the sexual abuse of his childhood. One in three girls, one in five boys, and that's just what's reported. Probably much higher. The Holocaust against the children continues in the world, and in many ways with single mothers being generally, I say this without hatred, just with the facts, unable to protect their children. People worry about pedophile priests, people worry about pedophile school teachers, and these are things that are right to worry about, but the uh, guys who hang around single mothers, kind of rough, kind of rough. Audio's good. Yeah, so hit me up with your questions, babies. I am all yours for the next little while. What your thoughts and advice would be from recovering from a breakup? Right. So, a few things about that. Pretty important to know. A breakup is a death. Uh, What we process emotionally, what we process emotionally has evolved in a far different environment than we find ourselves in, right? So I was talking to a fellow. I haven't released the call-in show. It may be too intense to release. Um, but I had a long conversation with a fellow who was in an extraordinarily self-destructive state. And one of the things that had happened was his father had divorced his mother when the young man was 12. And his father had then vanished, even though he was only a couple of hours away by car. And he would occasionally come to town for business and then maybe he would see his son, maybe not. But... I said to the young man, when your father vanishes, right? So you think of the way that we evolved. We evolved in small communities, villages, farming communities, hunting, hunter-gatherer um, tribes and so on, 50, 100 people or whatever, right? And why would your father be gone right? in this environment? Why would your father be absent? You couldn't abandon your children because you were all in the same village. There was no abandoning. So why would your why would your father be gone? See, we're in this very strange modern world. It's it's a very strange modern world. Because we have the moral right to get angry at what our bodies only want to mourn. 
Let me sort of say this again. It's really important to understand your emotional apparatus. It's trying to adapt to a new environment, and we're, we're not doing particularly well. We now have the moral right to get angry at what we formerly only had to mourn, and breakups is, is part of that. So I was saying to this young man, your father abandoned you because he went from having a fairly good relationship to his father to his father calling him maybe a couple of times a year, Christmas and maybe his birthday, having five minutes, five minutes desultory conversation. So I said, your father abandoned you. Now, really couldn't have that happen in history, now could you? Think of how you evolved, right? How we all evolved. So think of why your father would be absent in a small farming community, a tribal community, a hunter-gatherer community, a small gathering, relatively small. Well, he would be gone because he died. And we assume he would die, have died through no fault of his own. Maybe he got gored by a bull. Maybe he got an infection and died. Maybe he got yeeted off by the local lord to go and fight in some useless, stupid war. Uh, maybe he fell. Maybe he got accidentally shot with an arrow, something. So your father is gone. When your father is gone, your body processes this as a death. It's the same thing with a breakup. We're not designed for breakups. We're not designed for parental absence. We're not designed for daycare. We're not designed for any of this, any of it. Now, if... You, when you're a child, if your father dies in some hunting accident or gets gored by a bull or yeeted off to war and dies in war or something, you don't get mad at him. You don't get mad at him. Because he died. And it was a tragedy. And you mourn him. You mourn him. These days, though, if your father has some affair with some floozy and then uh, moves uh, away and doesn't fight for any custody rights or doesn't try and get any custody rights and barely contacts you and barely calls you, you're in a state of perpetual mourning because you're perpetually having your father die on your day, fall over like a rotten tree in the forest, smashing every day because he's there and you are mourning him forever because he's dying forever. He never dies. You never get a new... You can never get closure. When I was a kid, my parents separated. When I was a baby, I have no memory of my, of my father being in the house. And my father went from Ireland, where I lived, and England, where I lived, to Africa. Now, he did that because he was a geologist and he was trained in gold exploration. And England and Ireland have many wonderful properties, but being... Uh, ample gold reserves is not one of them, right? So if he's got his training in geology and he's a gold hunter, then he's going to go to where the gold is, which is Africa, at least was then. So I referred to my father, because I used to have to write him letters, and, and when I was in boarding school, I had to write him a letter every week. And I referred to my father. Well, first of all, I would write dear first name to my father because I couldn't say dear dad, right? just didn't make any sense to me. And... People would say, where's your father? I said, well, he's my, my ex-father lives in, in Africa. My ex-father lives in Africa. And people would get mad at me. And I honestly was baffled. 
honestly was baffled. And people would say, well, he's in Africa, but he's still your father. I'm like, nope, no, no, he's not. Right? He was my mother's husband. He divorced her, or she divorced him. Now he's her ex-husband. He moved to Africa. He doesn't parent me, so he's my ex-father. Now, if you define father as sperm donor, then I guess he's my father. You could look at a little bucket in a clinic and say, hey, Dad, bring it, some, uh, bring it a tie and some Frank Sinatra CDs on Father's Day. This is my ex-father. It's not your ex-father. He's still in contact with you. It's like, yeah, well, he's still in contact with my mother. They still have to deal with things regarding the divorce. They still have some contact. My, like, he's her ex-husband. He was her husband. They got divorced. He moved away. Now he's her ex-husband. He doesn't, he doesn't perform any husbandly duties with regards to my mother. He's moved away. He's her ex-husband. He's moved away. He's my ex-father. Because to parent is not simply to deposit sperm in an accessible egg. It is to actually parent. And I know this even more now than when I was a little kid. And all of this was preparing for me being a good father, a great father, I think. You know, I, I, I took my daughter for lunch today and uh, she was like, let's just, let's just hang out all afternoon, right? And so we went various places and, and chatted and had a really, you know, that's wonderful. You know, she's 14 and um, we just love each other's company and have a great time. So, with my father, I was in a state of perpetual mourning. I'm not trying to make this about me, because this is generally, genuinely about you. I'm just sort of trying to help you sort of follow the thinking. What your body is doing is trying to process an accidental death, or a death your father was the victim of, but you feel angry. It's the same thing with a breakup, right? So, this guy I was talking to yesterday, I said, you know, you're, you're angry at your father, but at the same time, your emotions are confused because it, feel, it would feel really weird to get angry at somebody who died accidentally. Like if your father was driving well and some drunk guy ran a red and T-boned him and creamed him all over the crosswalk, he died through no fault of his own, you wouldn't be angry at your father for being the victim of a drunk driver, of a bad driver. You wouldn't get angry. That would be weird, right? You'd, 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 you'd be angry at the driver. You'd be angry at the drunk driver but you wouldn't be angry at your father for being the victim of an accident. So we have this weird world where our emotions are trying to process grief, but we're angry. And this is where we get short-circuited all the time. I do, you do, we all do. So, in certainly, I'm talking sort of European cultural background, Christian background, Christian culture. You get married in your teens, late teens, and your wife is there and you're there. And the only reason that your wife would be gone is if she died. So when you process a breakup, when you go through a breakup, your emotions, your body is processing that 
as a death. Yet you may have reason to be angry if she cheated on you, whatever, right? Because in the past, of course, if you were married, and well, when you were married, as most people were, when you were married, if your girlfriend, or if your wife cheated on you, she wouldn't be gone. She wouldn't have vanished, right? You'd have issues. You'd, you'd work it out or, or not work it out, but she wouldn't just have vanished, right? So when you have, when you have a breakup, it's an angry death. It's an angry death. If your father abandons you, it's an angry death. If your parents separate you and you don't see your mother anymore, it's an angry death. We have anger in our minds, which we're right to have. But our body is mourning a death. Our body is mourning a death. And that's really a tough situation to be in. So, uh, a breakup... And I'm not talking like you went on a couple of dates, like when you've had a you know, significant investment in a relationship. So you're pair bonded at that point, right? You're pair bonded and your body thinks, this is it, man. We've had kids. Like the moment you start having sex and all your body's like, okay, we're bonded. We're having sex. That means we're monogamous. That means we're together till death do us part. And so when you have sex, you, you are married in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your body, in your flesh. You are married. You break up then your body says, well, we were married, now the woman is gone, she died. And there are rituals to help people with grief. I mentioned recently we've had a death, and and there are rituals to help you with grief, and those rituals are very important. There are rituals to help you with grief. But people just say, well, it's a breakup. You know, it didn't work out. No, no, that's not how your body processes it, man. That's not how your body processes it. Your body processes that she just died. She died. And yet there's this absence of ritualistic mourning. There's this absence of, of funerals. There's this absence of awake, of dirges, of eulogies. There's this absence of from dust to dust. And so there's a death with no ritual. There's a death with no community outpouring. There's a death with no depth. It's just gone. They're just gone. People are just gone. Do you find that weird in the world? How people just come into your life, spend a certain amount of time, and then it's gone, baby, gone, just gone. And that didn't happen for most of our evolution. People were around, and the only reason they weren't around is they died. Every absence is a kind of death. Right. Um, have rituals. Have your rituals about the end of relationships because I think in our hearts we process it as a death. All right. Hey, Steph, why do a lot of women do that upward inflection at the tail end of their sentences? Hard to mimic in text form, but I'll try. So me and my boyfriend went to the park because it was like a nice day. We hadn't been out for a while, so we thought it would be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a fish hook. I call this a fish hook, right? The fish hook is, you, you can see this with this, <laughs> it's a witch hunt of Trump that's going on legally, I think, and one of the jury four people is actually, is actually a witch, believe it or not, a witch. And so people who like, they nod a lot and they smile when you're like, 
when they're, when they're trying to tell you something, they nod a lot and they smile. You know, it's kind of like Elizabeth Holmes used to do this and, and so on, right? And some, I was head of the CDC. Anyway, you can see this kind of stuff. Yeah, mm, yeah, nah, nah. So they're smiling and they're nodding when they're telling you something. And this is a form of, they're trying to hypnotize you. It's probably unconscious, right? They're trying to hypnotize you into agreeing with them. And so when you ask someone a question, you engage their response, right? You engage them in a response. So when a woman has a lot of questions in her normal sentences, she's putting in these fish, fish hooks to make sure that she keeps your attention. And uh, attention being, as I said, pornography for women. So. All right. Um, thank you for the talk with the listener about saving his marriage. I, too, suffer from a lack of socialization as a child. My father often said regularly, children should be seen and not heard. I think a corollary being and seldom seen. This has left me robbed of many career or life options. Well, that's pretty fucking deterministic, isn't it, brother? Robbed? What do you mean robbed? I don't understand. I don't understand. I've never understood. My mother was insane. Like, and I'm not just saying, oh, she was kind of like she was literally institutionalized, right? She was, she was insane. She, she went absolutely insane when I was in my early teens. My father had significant. Anyway, so does that mean, uh, well, my mother was crazy and therefore I have no access to rationality. I, I was robbed of rationality. Nope. It's not the way it works. Maybe it's the way it works if you feel like a pinball, bing, 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 just bouncing around. Physics of your history. No, fuck that. Have some will, have some free will. Put down some roots, take some depth. I could have gone crazy from my mother being crazy and my father having his issues and I could have, I could have gone crazy. Oh my God. But no, what you do is you say, oh man, well, that's really bad, man. That's, that's, that's some bad shit right there, man. This crazy stuff is really bad. And uh, fortunately, my mother was very, very florid in explaining to me in great detail exactly what drove her nuts. Childhood trauma she wouldn't process. I have great sympathy for the trauma, no sympathy for the lack of processing. A focus on looks over character, on style over substance, on appearance over depth, on beauty over virtue. Number two. uh, Number three was making shit up, then making it real. You make shit up, and then you make it real. Right? So she would believe she had these psychic abilities, and she would believe that she could knit these little defensive helmets of positive energy for people in trouble. And right, So she just made shit up, and then she made it real. She made shit up. Oh, well, the reason my life didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to was because those doctors just, in, they just injected me with all of this venom. And, right? Okay, so just made shit up, and then made it real car would backfire and she'd throw herself on the ground. They're trying to kill me, right? She slept with a big giant knife under her pillow and when there was graffiti in the neighborhood, she thought it was a message to her, right? Just made shit up and then made it real. Is there any better way to drive someone towards empiricism than to make shit up, then make it real? And see where that leads you. Make shit up, make it real. Okay fail to make it real. Reality would constantly undermine. So I'm like, okay, well, I better, my mother would have as an overwhelming guide to epistemological reality to, to truth and falsehood would be her feelings. Feels true. Therefore it is true. Okay. Well, first of all, I don't want to reject feelings. 
because feelings are very important. And to reject feelings is to try and live like you didn't evolve, like you're not any kind of mammal, like you don't have any flesh. And that's weird. That's weird because we do have flesh and the mind is an effect of the brain and the brain is an effect of the body, is sustained by the body. So to reject the body, to reject emotions, to reject passions is to reject everything that keeps you alive and everything that guided you to the evolutionary status of alpha brain predator on the planet. So I can't reject emotions, but I can't use... Emotions are not tools of cognition. Something feels doesn't mean it's real. Feels ain't reals. Feels ain't fucking reals. No self-discipline. And surrounding yourself with people who reinforce and support your delusions, right? So there was a whole bunch of things that I saw my mother do, and it wasn't that hard to figure out. It wasn't that hard to puzzle out. So I became very rational. I really, the moment I saw philosophy, and right, I'm in, man. So, a lack of socialization as a child, okay. So you know what you're missing. You saw what went wrong. Was I robbed of rationality because I grew up in an insane environment? No. You see clearly what's gone wrong. So make it right. If you feel under-socialized, I accept what you're saying, your lack of socialization, okay. There's a real plus to that. Because I was imprinted with crazy, like crazy was a literal cocaine brainworm that was repeatedly jammed up my nose to try and eat my brain. Like crazy is not patient. Crazy is not tolerant. Crazy is invasive. Crazy just gets you fucking cornered and just pounds nutty language into your brain trying to make you insane. It is a virus. It spreads. It attacks. The empiricism, the medulla, the memory, the, the base of the brain, it attacks the senses. It attacks the, the physicality. It, attack, it attacks masculinity in particular. It, it is a flamethrower, and you've just got to stand there and fucking survive. You've got to turn into asbestos without losing your humanity. It's a, it's a challenge, right? You fight the fuck back. So because I had this, this flamethrower of anti-rationality trying to melt away any skin and muscle and flesh from my bones and then melt away my bones and turn me into a living ghost like my mother was... Because of that, I knew exactly what not to do. And I got to be original. Because I didn't believe anything about society. Society saw me going insane. Sorry, society saw my mother going insane. And me getting perilously close to that in some areas when I was young. I mean, my mom was referred by the family doctor to a mental institution. She was institutionalized. I went to visit Everybody knew I was there. Nobody cared. Nobody called. Nobody did anything. Yeah, hey, you're 12. Good luck, kid. Good luck. Good luck. Guess I better get a job. <laughs> get two jobs. So I was liberated from any delusions about the virtues of society. And that, of course, has only been reinforced ever since. It's tough when you're cynical, young, and right for the rest of your life. But also very liberating. So... You get to be original. So you weren't socialized. Oh, well, that's a big lack. Well, maybe. But it also means that you get to socialize in an original standard, right? So I was not taught any rationality. In fact, insanity was inflicted upon me on a repeated basis. A flamethrower, a cannon, brain worm. It, it, it assaults. 
Like you, you want to know the, one of the definitions I have, you know, there's the people who just want to be left alone and there's the people who just fucking won't leave them alone, right? Just want to be left alone. Just let me live my life. Let me have my property. Let me live my life. No, you got to be regulated and controlled and silenced and censored. I can't leave you alone. Insanity can't leave other people alone because insanity gets no feedback that's positive and sustaining from reality and rationality. So they got to go make people crazy. It's a brain virus that spreads. And if there are genetic bases too, then it spreads by making people crazy. And then the crazy people seek out the crazy people and you get more crazy people. So I got to be rich. I got to think for myself. Beautiful. I have benefited, and I hope that you have through me and, and through philosophy, I have enormously benefited from having crazy parents and a, a sick betrayal society, a society that preaches virtue and protection of children and uh, cheers on often when children are disassembled and right there in front of them. Why are you feeling robbed? You've been given the gift of originality. You've been given the gift of knowing exactly what's missing and you can build it yourself. Is it worse to be unsocialized or is it worse to be badly socialized? If you're badly socialized, you've got to undo before you make. Like if you've got a bad building on your property, you've got to tear down the bad building before you build the new building. If you just get an empty property, you can just build the new building. You don't have to tear anything down. Lack of socialization means you can't define it for yourself. Double plus good. Stop feeling robbed by a bad childhood. There are many gifts and opportunities in that that can make you markedly healthier than the average. Hey, Steph, I'm all stiff from shoveling snow. Hey, man, whatever turns you on. Steph, how does certainty play into your worldview? <laughs> um, what do you mean my worldview? I don't know what you mean by my worldview. If it's my worldview, then it's not certainty, right? If I have facts about the world and have evidence about the world, then it's not just a worldview. It's not my worldview. It's not a subjective thing, right? Is physics just somebody's opinion about reality? Somebody's perspective. Like a tall guy looks down, the short guy looks up. It's just perspective. What about biology? What about is math? Is that just a bunch of opinions? It's just, you know, how I feel about the world today. How does certainty play into your worldview? Well, it fucking doesn't. Because when it's certainty, it's not a worldview. I mean, I have a worldview, and I'm constantly trying to test that worldview against empirical evidence, right? People say, uh, I have a theory that the world uh, punishes uh, uh, children who are honest about child abuse, right? And people who are honest about child abuse get punished by the world because the world has no interest in ending child abuse and, in fact, generally coordinates with the abusers in order to maintain it because that's the basis of power and so on. So, yeah, I, I have a theory, right? I have a theory that if you speak honestly about child abuse, the world will attack you. And then when I spoke honestly about child abuse, blah, 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 the world attacked me, blah, blah, you understand, right? So how does certainty play into your worldview? It doesn't. I have subjective things. You know, I like particular colors. I like particular plants. I like particular animals. Yeah, that's subjective. That's not philosophical. That's just an aesthetic preference. It's not part of UPB. It's not universalizable. How does certainty play into your worldview? It doesn't. It opposes it where it can be opposed. If I have a worldview that is 
I believe is objective, then I have to test it against reason and evidence, right? How does certainty play into your worldview? The truth seems elusive to me, says this listener, as if it's just a hypothetical. And I'm not sure if that's healthy skepticism, naivety of youth, autism, or some kind of moral fault. A pitiful lack of conviction. The truth seems elusive to me. <laughs> you are very... I would say you're naive, and I understand that, and I'm not criticizing. It took me a long time to get over naivety, because naivety is a necessary optimism that you have to have in order to escape a bad situation, because you have to believe there's a better situation out there, and personally there can be. Uh, socially, things are way worse now than when I was a kid, politically way worse now than when I was a kid. So the truth seems elusive to me. The truth is kryptonite to the powers that be, right? The truth is uh, hidden, it's obfuscated, it's attacked, it's condemned, it's deplatformed. So it's not like the truth seems elusive to me. It's, it's, it's being hidden from you actively. And your pursuit of it will be opposed relentlessly. The truth seems elusive to me. No. You are punished for pursuing the truth. You are attacked for pursuing the truth. If people know the truth, they don't need to be ruled. If people know the truth, they don't need to be ruled. So the rulers will always hide the truth. Uh, what reflections do you have for a couple with a significant age gap? Man is 54, female is 32, and the ethics of having children with a parent of that age. Yeah, um, so that's that's a big that's a big age gap. That's a big age gap, twenty two years. You know, a year after you could drink at the states, your wife was being born. I think it's a it's a bit of a cheat, to be honest with you. It's a, it's a bit of a cheat, and uh, the reason I say that is women want more resources, and so at fifty four. You have more resources. I assume you're not a total failure in life. So at the age of 54, you have a lot more money and resources and maturity and wisdom and so on relative to men her age. So she's kind of skipping ahead. She's cheating in a way. She's using a cheat code called going up 22 years and getting 22 years additional resources and so on. So uh, it's, it's a problem. He also is cheating as well because he can gather extra resources I assume that the man doesn't have children from another marriage. Maybe he does, but I assume he doesn't. So he's cheating in a way because he's got all these additional resources because he hasn't had kids of his age, which you bloody well should have by the age of 54. The, the sperm of a 54-plus-year-old man, you know, there there's declines in motility, there's declines in quality, there are increases in uh, genetic abnormalities and so on. Again, talk to a doctor. This is just general trend stuff and talk to a geneticist, but that's my understanding of it. So... Either the man is immature, right, because you've got 22-year age gap, right, and they get along. So either the man is very immature or the female is very mature, right? So because maybe they meet in the middle, you know, he's like 11 years younger, she's 11 years older, she, she's like 43, and he's like 45. They sort of meet in the middle. Okay, so then why is she so mature, and why is he so immature? You can have children, of course. You can have children whenever you want. But just recognize, of course, that by the time you're, if you're 54, by the time your kid is graduating from high school, you're in your 70s. What that means, of course, is that it, there's a significant risk 
that your child, when becoming a new adult and going to launch himself or herself into the world, is going to have to deal with aging and elderly parents. Also, the age gap right now, uh, you know, a man who's 54, you know, I mean, I'm going to be 57 this year. I can still do an hour plus a pickleball. I can still work out. I can, you know, I walked all day with my daughter. I don't have, you know, it's a little bit creaky occasionally, but I don't have any real issues with that. Uh, but, you know, in 20 years, it's going to be uh, it's going to be kind of rough, right? So when you're in your mid-70s and your wife is in her uh, mid-50s, she may not want to be wiping your liver-spotted ass or going down that particular road with you, right? So, I mean, Scott Adams had a younger, I think much younger, but there was an age gap and age issues and so on, right? So will you be able to stay together? Will you, uh, as you look down the tunnel of time, a man at 54 can still be a silver fox. A man in his mid-70s is, you know, kind of creaky and might need some help getting out of the chair. Not all, right? Not all, but it could happen, right? So, yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. It's rough. There is no violation of the non-aggression principle with this kind of stuff, right? So, uh, The left was very successful with the long march through the institutions. Should freedom-minded people also try to use the institutions like Hollywood and universities? Well, there's no time for that. Like, sorry, there's no time for that. I mean, they started in the 50s. I mean, no, they started, they started uh, in, in the 30s, really. And so, you know, they've got 90 years, right? Even if you could somehow reverse this, there's no 90 years for the current system, as far as I could imagine. Right? Steph, is the desire to make an ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend jealous a normal behavior, or is it a red flag? Is it even more of a red flag if a person takes steps to actually make that happen? It's a huge, huge red flag. It's a huge red flag because it means that they're still enmeshed. They haven't gone through the grieving process of the death of a relationship. Right? As I said before, you have a breakup your body perceives that as your partner has, you have kids, you're bounded for life, you're bonded for life, and your partner just died from nature or died from politics or died from war or died from invasion or died from whatever, right? So desire to make an ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend jealous is a huge red flag because it means the relationship is not concluded and they're still wrapped up. If the person takes steps to actually make it happen, oh yeah, like, you know, if you're still wrapped up with that person, go back to that person. Go go deal with it, go work it out, or whatever, right? Yeah, but the idea that you're going to try and make an ex uh, jealous, it means you have not processed it, and you are not emotionally available for your current partner. All right. Uh, do you plan on having Tom Woods on again? I just watched your past interview with him on his book, How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization, and really enjoyed it. You convinced me to buy a copy of it and read it for myself. Uh, I like Tom, of course. Um, uh, people find it tricky to come on the show. And I'm, you know, I did, I did so many interviews. I did uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews. And all of them, I was reading like two books a week and, and oh my God, like in detailed notes and, and, and sometimes more preparation and so on. So uh, I'm enjoying answering your questions. I'm enjoying the spontaneity of what we're doing here. I'm enjoying writing novels uh, and, and so on. So I don't have any particular plans. All right, uh, let's see here. And here's more, another tip, because I accidentally more coin, bought more coins than I intended. Yeah, you can tip me, of course, on coins on Locals, the Locals platform. And yes, if you are finding what I'm saying helpful, 
And I know exactly how helpful it is, by the way. I know exactly how helpful it is and how unique it is that you're not going to get this anywhere else. If you could uh, support me, support philosophy, support the show, I would really, really appreciate it. Any advice for a couple where one partner has strong views on not committing any religious indoctrination of children and the other partner is practicing Christian who wants the children to participate, go to church, pray, believe in Jesus in Christianity? I actually was in this uh, situation with a girl that I somewhat saw when I was uh, doing my master's program. I, philosophy is about prevention, not cure. It's about prevention, not cure. I don't know why people just studiously avoid having conversations about values and virtues and morals before they get married. I have no idea. I have no idea why. I mean, if you listen to this show, right, obviously, right? Love is our involuntary response to virtue if we're virtuous. So if you got married to someone and you never talked about how you're going to raise your children, right? I mean, I remember having a conversation. I was falling for this woman. She was a Christian. And uh, I said to her, um, you know, I respect your Christianity, but I can't teach them kids that it's true. If they want to choose religion when they get older, that's their choice, but I can't teach them that it's true philosophically when they're young. And she's like, no, I can't accept that. I have to teach the children about God and Jesus and virtue when they're children. And, you know, she's like, hey, man, you know, you can sleep in on Sundays if you don't want to come to church. That's no problem, right? But but for the children, I'm going to... And I respected that. I respected her perspective. I, I respected her commitment to her faith. And I was like, okay, well, uh, we can't, you know, uh, we can't... Because I, I can't have any authority with children if the mother is teaching them doctrines that I believe to be false. And then they know that I believe those doctrines to be false, how could I have any authority with them, right? I mean, having authority with your kids is the only way to have fun parenting, right? So, otherwise it has to be intimidation or aggression or whatever, right? Manipulation. Authority is uh, the grease in the machinery of relationships. So, go back in time and have statements about values and virtues, I mean, and if you haven't, I don't know. It's like going to a nutritionist and say, you know, I'm, I'm having a heart attack from bad, my bad diet of the last 30 years. What should you do? It's like, well, call the ER, right? You can't fix that through diet. You could have fixed it from the past through diet, but you can't fix it now through diet. So I don't, there's no way, way to resolve this philosophically because the resolution would have been in the past. Uh, let's see here. I was just talking to my partner today about how fucked up it is that her mom abandoned her at 15 to go drink with some loser that ended up stealing from her. I told my partner that her talking to her mom after this says that abandoning the children is okay, and a major concern for me is if my partner and I are to have children. I mean, this is a typical male-female thing to some degree, that, that, and it's not always the case, but women want to maintain their relationships, and men want to protect their children. <laughs> And if the woman is enmeshed in relationships that are toxic to the family and toxic to the children, then the woman wants to maintain those relationships and the man wants to protect his children. And if this mother abandoned her at 15 to go drink with some loser who ended up stealing from her, I assume that means stealing from the mom, okay, that's a pretty massive mistake. Has the mom gone through therapy? Has she apologized? Has she made restitution? Has she tried to really own up to this and figure out what happened and how it could not be reproduced, and so on. Okay, that's a possibility that there's a redemption arc there. 
if she's defensive, if she justifies it, if she's like, well, that was just a time in my life or I made some mistakes or things happened in the past or whatever, right? I did the best I could. But okay, well, then this is not, in my view, that wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let someone like that around my kids. <laughs> like, fuck no, are you kidding me? That mindset to me would be like an environmental toxin. I would not let somebody who was, who had been deeply immoral around children, I would not let that person around my children. I don't even know why this is a hard equation. I'm not saying it's easy to do. Of course, I understand it's a hard thing to put into practice, but the equation is pretty simple. Somebody who's an unrepentant abuser of children, do you let that person around your children? Fuck no. Like, of course not. Of course not. I mean, would you date a woman who cheated on her last five boyfriends and says, it wasn't cheating, uh, I just like open relationships, right? And you want a monogamous relationship, would you date that person? No, because they've clearly stated their intentions to repeat the behavior. And excuses are promises of repetition. You make an excuse, right? I said this the other day. Maturity happens when we finally run out of excuses. Excuses are promises of repetition. All right. Oftentimes people don't get angry enough with the people who deserve it. Yes, that's true. That's very true. Yeah, they redirect their anger to those who don't deserve it. Well, sure, because getting angry at people who did you harm is tough because those people did you harm and they could do you harm again. So, yes, uh, getting angry at people who did you harm is putting yourself in a situation of risk. Getting angry at innocent people who are very nice, well, you can just, you know, this is why people don't yell at their boss, but they'll yell at their kids because their boss could fire them, but their kids can't. It's just a power play. Somebody says, I was abused verbally by my parents. Then when I got angry, I got in trouble. How dare you get angry? Then for taking for talking back, I got the strap when dad came home from work. Sure. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry that this happened to you, but it's entirely predictable based on power play dynamics. Right? Any analysis of basic power play. Most people don't have morals. They just have Machiavellianism. Right? Most people don't have ethics. All they have is, is power. Can I get away with it? Right? Well, I can't hit my wife. I can't hit my boss. I can't hit the waiter. Can't hit the guy bagging my groceries. Can't hit the cop. But I can hit my children, right? So whatever you can get away with. People are just water, right? They're just, oh, there's resistance here. I'll just go somewhere else, right? So yeah, of course, right? They can get angry at you. Now, the principle should be you can get angry at people. But no, it's one-way street, right? Because the purpose of their anger is to discharge their frustrations onto you. And because they feel bullied in their lives, they bully you. And it restores a sense of power to them. That's all. It's just a game of hot potato. This potato hurts my hand. Here, kid, you hold it for the rest of time. Divorce is a spiritual death, says someone. Two people had become one, and when they separate, that one dies. Yeah, and, and it is a spiritual death, and our body experiences a breakup as a death. And if we've been betrayed, then we have both anger and sorrow, which are not complementary emotions. Like frustration and anger are complementary emotions, right? Um, sorrow and mournfulness and so on, yeah, but uh, sorrow and anger are not exactly antonyms, but they're not complementary emotions, so it kind of messes up our system. Uh, thank you, that really helps out. I'm going to chew on this for some time. I'm very happy. And remember, if it helps out, you can, you can always send a tip. Steph, how can one develop the, their ability to use metaphors? Practice reading. Yeah, so to develop the ability to use metaphors, you analyze your dreams because you have an incredible ability to use metaphors. You do it every single night, every single night. You have powerful dreams of living VR-style 
metaphors with sight, such sight and touch and smell and taste and right sound. So you do that. You you practice. You read poetry and you just practice getting analogies going in your mind. I could use some advice. Well, I can hopefully give some advice. So maybe it's a, a key that will fit. I know I don't socialize enough, but feel there's very little I can do about it, especially considering I'm also single. I tried volunteering multiple times at several different places, but never had a good experience or felt like I was wanted there. If they even accepted my help at all, that is. Only real friends are living out of state. Only family I was close to have passed. Feel like I'm trapped in a work and sleep cycle. What should I be working on doing? Yeah. You're very wise to be concerned about this. I mean, if you were smoking a pack a day, you'd say, well, i got to quit, right? And isolation is as bad for you as smoking, as far as I've read. So, yeah, we are not, uh, we are dogs, not cats. We're social animals, and you need to socialize. You need to have people around you who care about you and who you care about. So the way that you develop friendships is you provide value and you expect value. That's what a friendship is, a mutually beneficial interaction. You provide value and you expect value. Because if all you do is provide value, then you're just being, oh, you're going to end up being exploited. Just give value, give value, never expect anything in return. You're just going to end up being exploited because the sociopaths and the takers and the vampires can sense that from a mile away. They'll come and probisci and and, uh, sturge up your neck. So, yeah, but whereas all if you do is just expect value without feeling like you have to provide any, then you are one of those exploiters that I just mentioned, right? So the way that, uh, I mean, this is fairly mathematically proven. The best approach in life, if you've not heard this, it's important, you know, listen to this. The best approach in life for success is you treat people the very best you can when you first meet them, And after that, you treat them as they treat you. You treat people the very best you can the first time that you encounter them. And after that, you treat them as they treat you. So if they continue to treat you well, you continue to treat them well. If they're indifferent to you, you withdraw your provision of resources. Now, it's a little tricky because if if they exploit you, you don't exploit them back. Right? Because you don't want to get into that destructive cycle. And if you are not an exploiter and someone exploits you, Ooh, boy, they've got way more practice at it than you have, right? So if you're just learning how to play tennis and the tennis pro says, let's play for money, what do you say? You say, no, thank you. (laughs) Very kind, but I'm going to have to respectfully decline, right? Obviously, because he's got much more experience in tennis than you have, right? I mentioned earlier that I, I won a racquetball tournament and the... Teacher, uh, we did a little bit of an ex- exhibition thing where I played and everybody was watching and I played with the, uh, with the, uh, the, the coach, right? He's better than me, obviously, because he's a coach, but I did okay. I got a couple of points off the guy. Uh, and um, so, but I'm not playing that coach for money because he, you know, even if I got a couple of points, he'd wipe the, wipe the court with me, right? I can't, can't really win functionally, right? I mean, you could kind of argue once in a blue moon, I'm going to, right? But Nothing statistically, right? I mean, if you see some guy, you know, blindfolded, sinking, sinking ball after ball and playing pool, you're not going to play the guy for money, right? So if somebody exploits you and you're not an exploiter, then don't try and exploit them back because they've got way more experience than you, right? So, 
So you provide value and you expect value. You provide value so that you understand why people would be interested in you. And that way, if you provide value, you can keep the needy people who just want to give, give, give out of your life because they'll become exhausting and you'll end up paying for it in some manner or another. So you provide value and then you expect value in return. Right, so uh, I, I st I'm still making friends at uh, even at my age. I'm still making friends because I just I like people enormously. I I really do. I mean, I know I've got my issues with the world as a whole, but I'm sort of the mirror image of those people. They love mankind in the abstract, but they hate everyone they actually meet. That's not me. Um, I really enjoy meeting new people. It's the reason I still do these call-in shows. I know that's not meeting people, but even in my real life, I still enjoy meeting people. Uh, I had a long chat with some people when I was out with my uh, daughter today about various things in the world, which was very fun and interesting and engaging. And I'm still meeting new people, still making new friends. And I provide value and I expect value, right? So um, I provide um, conversation and engaging things, maybe a little entertainment if I'm feeling in a, a funny mood or whatever, right? Like a a jokey mood. So yeah, provide value. And I don't expect them to necessarily be philosophical back, or I don't expect them to make jokes back or whatever, but I expect them to provide some value, some insight, some thoughts, some whatever, right? And so you provide value and expect value. That's really the, I know that that's very abstract, but make sure that the other person is enjoying your presence and that you're contributing something positive to that person's life. And then you wait and see if they're going to provide something of value back to you. And that way it shows that you know enough about socializing that you have to provide value and also that you're not there to be exploited because you're expecting value in return. And anybody who's worth being a friend with will provide that value in return. All right. Uh, I'm asking about your knowledge of the world. That's why I say worldview rather than reality. Yeah, I mean, we can play these semantic games if you want. Uh, maybe English is not your first language, but... A view of the world is not knowledge of the world. Physics is not a view of the world. Physics is knowledge of the world. So a view is a, a word that you use for subjective perception. doesn't mean that it's necessarily false, but worldview is not reality. So, uh, Steph, what would be a study that you would be interested to hear the results from that you don't think has been done uh, before? Yeah, I've talked about this before, that... It would be interesting to do a scan of somebody's mother, somebody who's an adult, and asking her a bunch of questions, do a scan and see what parts of the brain light up, and then have the son or daughter pretend to be the mother, as you heard me do countless times in, in the role plays that I do in my call-in shows, and then have somebody pretend to be the mother answering the same questions and see whether the same parts of the brain light up. Like, can you see the possession of the personality in the physical brain? As a male in his mid-40s with historically very little luck with the ladies, I'm grateful that there are these connections being made. Just be responsible and stay healthy to your ability. Yeah, it's not luck with ladies, though. It's not luck. I'm going to do a whole series about how to, <laughs> uh, how to, how to get, get women. Right? Uh, let's see here. Been in the dating market since the last three weeks, and out of the 200 matches, 199 are overweight. Yeah, um, I don't know why I wouldn't do anything with apps. I wouldn't do anything with apps. I mean, if I was single at the moment, I would be 
I would be joining. I mean, I met my wife in a sports league. She's very sporty and, uh, and very fit and, and all of that. And she basically weighs the same now as she did uh, over 20 years ago. I'm a little lighter, but I, w- I would be out doing sports leagues. I, would, I, I need a woman who moves. I, just, I need a woman who moves. I need a woman who takes care of herself. I, and you need that for your children too. If you have some overweight woman and she's going to have fertility issues, she's going to have birth issues, and then she's going to have... Uh, She's going to gain weight. If she has that habit, she's going to use gain a lot of baby weight. It's going to be very tough for her to lose it, if she even can. And uh, then she will not be able to run around with the kid, which means it's going to be all up to you. And uh, she's going to be at risk of dying young. It's like, no, it's just a complete recipe for heartache and heartbreak. So uh, I, I myself, I, I wouldn't be doing anything on the apps. I would, you know, I mean, I used to chat with women at the gym. Uh, that's okay. But there tends to be a lot of vanity there. Whereas uh, sporty girls, to me, that's my particular taste. So... Uh, what do you think of therapists who work with children? Um, well, uh, to reference a call I had yesterday, this is a guy whose family was pretty dysfunctional. Um, <laughs> it's one of the biggest journeys. Like, you won't believe this, right? Again, I'm not sure if I released the convo or not, but because it could be really triggering for some people. But I asked him at the beginning, you know, tell me about your childhood. It's like, oh, I had a pretty normal childhood. Literally within half an hour, he was describing the knife fights he had with his brother. That's pretty normal child, you know, for pretty normal childhood if you count, I don't know, seemingly coke adult pirate offspring knife fights as normal. Like, oh, yeah, a little less than super normal there. So, but he was, he was 12. His parents split up and he was very angry and he, he was um, pretty hostile. And so his mother uh, sent him to a therapist. And his therapist, according to this guy, his therapist said, oh, your mother sounds bipolar or whatever, right? And it's like, okay, so that's... I'm not a therapist, obviously, right? But if I was a therapist, maybe this is why I'm not. If I was a therapist and some woman said, oh, yeah, um, I just divorced his dad and his dad is not in any, he's not contacting him really at all, I'd say, okay, well, we need to get the dad in here. We need to get the parents in here. I'm not going to treat the patient because I'm not going to treat the, it was called the identified patient. You know, the, the family's insane. One kid acts out and that's the, everyone takes a step back and says, well, you got to fix that kid. Like, no, no. If you get tied, uh, you know, uh, um, David Bowie style, you, you know, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, you get tied out there in the desert and you keep getting sunburns, the solution is to stop having you tied out in the desert, not to just see if we can figure out how to get you some sunscreen, right? So uh, when children, and this happens in schools all the time, right? When they drug kids, right? So when the parents say, my kid's crazy, fix my kid. My kid's bad, fix my kid. My kid's angry, fix my kid, right? As a therapist, um, I, 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 just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I would be like, no, I gotta, I talk to the family, it's not, not a kid thing, right? Here's another tip, are there any philosophers you could recommend reading, or do you have a reading list as well? Well, um, yeah, you know what, let me, let me give you a little gift there. You are my friends, you are my friends. Um, so I have a whole history of philosopher series, which is for subscribers uh, to the show. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the feed for that. It's a little gift just for tonight. I won't keep it, um, and I won't even talk it out. But I will give it to you. 
Uh, let me just see if I can find it. <laughs> I thought I had some of this somewhere handy. Uh, let me just see here. Oh, I know how to get it. So, yeah, I mean, first of all, read everyone. Read everyone. Everyone has something of value to offer. So read people. Uh, there's almost no philosopher you can't read. Like I'm reading someone, I uh, George uh, Berkeley, or Berkeley, is a philosopher I disagree with enormously. But learning how to process people you disagree with is really, really important. It's really, really important. Okay, here is your little gift. So this is a 20-part series. It's still in progress called The History of Philosophers. And normally this is for subscribers, but I'll give it to you guys. Just, you know, do me a favor. Do me a solid if you don't mind. And uh, keep it... Um... Now we're back. All right. Um, yeah, let me just uh, give it to you. You can it, just keep it for us if you don't mind. Yeah, just uh, just keep it. Keep it uh, just for yourself, but you can put this into any feed catcher and you can get my 20-part History of Philosopher series, and hopefully this will stimulate you. You go read these guys. I mean, this is uh, really, really great. So, yeah, but dating boot camp, I think that would, be, uh, that would be a lot of fun, and I think, I think it could be quite, uh, quite helpful. All right. What would you do when you notice abusive parents getting very hostile because they see that I am making better steps to heal and grieve trauma and have, a better, and have better people in my life. I feel they are dangerous and that they can notice even the subtlest sign that I'm in a healthy estate. Right. So, in general, as a whole, overall, caveat, 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 exceptions prove the rule, you can't ever be more successful than the people in your life encourage you to be. I want you to get this. Tattoo it in your frontal lobes, right? In your frontal cortex. You can never be more successful in your life than the people around you encourage you and allow you to be. If you have people around you who are threatened by your success, if you have people around you, particularly parents, who experience your success in a negative manner, right? I mean, my family of origin is pretty fucked, right? How would they experience me being a great dad? It would mess them up. And because they have power over me, because I was raised by them, they always will. If, if my mom's around me being a great dad, she gets completely messed up. She had a bad childhood. She was a bad mother. I had a bad childhood. I'm a good father, which means that she made bad choices. It was not inevitable. It wasn't anybody else's fault. Fundamentally, she just made bad choices. But the only way people live with their bad choices is to pretend that they weren't choices. That's foundational, right, to human nature. The only way that people can live with their bad choices is to pretend that they weren't choices. Well, the first thing to do is pretend that they weren't bad, but if the badness is, right, hey, I did the best I could with the knowledge I had. You're asking the impossible. You're asking for me to be seven feet tall and change my eye color. <laughs> the only way people live with their bad choices is to pretend that they weren't choices. I did the best I could. It was your fault. Your dad was the one who did that. We were broke. There's racism. Oppression. 
But maturity only happens when you run out of excuses. When you realize that excuses just continue to keep your life in the shitter. So if you have parents who are getting hostile because you're growing and progressing and healing and becoming a better person, they will sabotage you and then you will sabotage yourself and you will lose all your gains. It's like saying, well, how can I do well in math if people just keep screaming random numbers into my ear? Well, the answer is you can't. You can't do well in a math test if people are screaming random numbers into your ear. Short circuits you. It's a sabotage, right? So if people are sabotaging you for your growth, you have only two choices. You give up those who sabotage you or you give up your growth. You can sink back down into the swamp. I mean, it'll be more painful because you've been out of it, and right? But you, you'll get back into it and, and you'll get back into that little low-rent spiral to nothing that characterized most people's lives. So you give up the people who are sabotaging you or you give up your progress. That's, that's really, I, I wish that there were more choices, but if wishes were horses, beggars would ride, as I was continually told when I was a kid. So, yeah. You give up your progress or you give up the sabotages. You know, I'm, I'm trying to build this tree fort and every time this kid comes over to play with me, he breaks the tree fort. Well, what do I do? Well, you stop inviting that kid over or you give up trying to make a tree fort. There's no other choice. No other choice. It's like philosophy, enacting philosophy is tough. Defining the issue is very, very simple. Very simple. Unfortunately, I still live with them because I faced financial troubles and I'm dependent on them right now. They feel they can further abuse me because of this and setting healthy boundaries is very difficult to say the least. Sorry, I, uh, I call bullshit. With all love and respect and honor, I call total bullshit. Are you dependent on them right now? If they moved to Iceland, and you couldn't go for whatever reason, you would, they moved to Iceland, you would, what, you would just die in the driveway, you would just live under a bridge and starve to death? Of course not. You'd find a way to make it work. You've, a safe haven is often a soft noose, right? You're not dependent on them, because if they vanished from reality, you'd find some other way to survive. You'd find something to do, Right? You'd find some way to make it happen. You'd, maybe you'd have to declare bankruptcy. Maybe you'd have to start from scratch. Maybe you'd have to take a job you didn't want or didn't like. You know, I kicked my mom out when I was 15. It was too early. I understand it's not healthy, right? I kicked my mom out when I was 15. I'm like, you know what? I'd rather get roommates. I'd rather work three jobs than have you in the house. We're done. And she was gone for a while. Went to the other end of the country, did her nonsense, and then she came back. I just got a call. I'm at the mall. <laughs> I need a place to stay, said my mother. I agree. Can I stay with you? Nope. You absolutely need a place to stay. I absolutely agree with you that you need a place to stay. I, I 100% agree with you you need a place to stay. Can I stay with you? No. Well, what am I supposed to do? She says, right? And the people who just, they go rag dolls. Like, I'm not enabling this kind of pitiful stuff. Right? 
I'm 17 years old. I've been paying my own bills for the last couple of years. Don't go. I mean, you can go rubber bones on me if you want, but I'm not going to pick you up. I'm not going to be your spine. I'm not going to be your skeletal system. And she found a way to make it work. She stayed with a friend or whatever, and she got into some apartment. And you, you, you find a way to make it work. Now, you can say, if you want, you can say, I'm choosing to live with my parents because it's easier, because it allows me to get out of debt faster. Like, you, you can absolutely say all of that, for sure. But don't try and sell this shit like you have no choice whatsoever. Well, unfortunately, I have to. No, you don't have to. All we have to do is breathe and then die. That's all we have to do. You don't have to stay with them at all. You could find another way to make it work. Because if they vanished, you would not die on the street. Please don't try and sell me determinism. And don't try and inflict it on my audience. I will stand between you and that. That despair, that desperation, that self-abnegation, self-abdication. No. I'm not saying move out. I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you that it's not true. That you have to be there. You can choose to be there. You can make a choice. You can be honest about it. I can get out of debt faster if I stay with my parents. And of course, part of the reason probably that you ended up in financial straits is because you had this as an option in your head. Well, if everything goes to shit, I can just move back in with my parents. Well, if you don't have that on the table, you'll be more cautious, won't you? I'm not trying to Put you down at all. I'm not, I'm trying to like shake you off this domino theory. Because I had financial problems, I got to move in with my parents and I got to stay with my parents. And my parents are abusive. It's like, no, 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 all choices, all choices. Don't come to me and ask me to install a robot based NPC module in your head. No, I will always come back to you where there's a choice. Always, I will come back to you with. It's a choice. Do not come to me. Never come to me and don't put it on my audience. This rubber bone shit of, well, I have to because. No, you don't. Did anyone put a gun to my head and make me talk about IQ? Nope. Anyone put a gun to my head and talk about the voluntary family, peaceful parenting? Nope. It's a choice. It's a choice. And once you make a choice and you understand that you have a choice and that everything you do is a choice, everything you do is a choice, that's called self-respect. That's called self-ownership. Now, people uh, you know, into this chat, libertarians and property rights people, you're uh, I got to own property. Okay, how about the first thing you own is yourself? First thing you own is yourself. But you got to own yourself, which means no dominoes. No determinism. Everything is a choice. Staying on this live stream is a choice. Listening to this is a choice. Not listening to this is a choice. Never, ever, ever, ever. Surrender self-ownership. Never. Never say, I have to do this because everything is a choice.
oh, but what if I'm in a gulag? Well, but not in gulags, right? So everything is a choice. Because everything is a choice, you get to own. If you want to stay at home because it's more efficient, I don't know whether that's the right or wrong thing for you to do. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that it's a lie to say you have to. Okay, when you're eight years old, you have to stay at home, right? Even though when I was four, I tried to run away from home. Probably quite wise that I did not succeed. Everything's a choice. Everyone who's in your life, you have chosen and actively choose every single day. You actively choose those people to be in your life. Every time you pick up the phone, every time you send an email, every time you read something, you are actively choosing for these people to be in your life, in your mind, in your head. Always. It's a choice. Every single second of every single day that you are awake and alive, you own everything that you are doing. Everything. There's not one shred of anything that you don't own. Anything. You are a hundred and aim for six million percent ownership of your life. Aim for that. Surrender nothing to circumstance. Surrender nothing to history. Surrender nothing to domino. Surrender nothing to the machinery of the material. Surrender nothing. It is an insult to the glory of your consciousness to pretend to be a tree falling because another fucking tree fell on you. Do not go rubber bones. Do not go limp. Stand and stare at the glowing sunlight of your free will, though it burns the retinas of your history. Stand, stare at it, absorb it, accept it, and live it. It doesn't tell you what to do, but it says that everything you do, you choose. Everything you do, you choose. Have you seen me complaining about my past choices? Were they always correct or perfect? Nope. But they were mine. Did I make mistakes? Yep. But they were mine. Nobody else's. I blame nobody else. They were my choices. Give up nothing of your soul, of your will. of your capacity to make decisions. Avoidance is a choice that you own. Well, I have to be here. That is a choice that you have made to avoid your own free will in the matter. You see, you have no choice about whether you have a choice. You have no choice about whether you have a choice. You can either accept it or not. You can say, well, I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. That is recorded in your unconscious. That lie is recorded in your unconscious. And every piece of will that you abandon is going to be scooped up and used by other people. Do you understand this? Everything you let escape is going to be weaponized against you. Every bit of choice of free will that you let slip through your fingers will be weaponized and used as a leash and a noose and a net against you. Let nothing escape the sovereignty of your consciousness. Nothing at all. Why are people so subject to the control of others? Because they refuse to accept the choice of existence, the choices that are 
by being here. Oh, it wasn't my fault that the, I had a kid and the, 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 the man ran away. So I got to go to the government. I got to get welfare. Uh, a snap. And my food stamps. It's not my fault. No, now you're a slave to the government. You give up your free will. It's scooped immediately by the powers that be and used to control you. Right? You know who's telling you you have to be there? Your parents. It's part of their abuse, I would assume. What happens if you are infinite percent in control of your life? Where you live, what you do, who you see, who you don't see. What if you are? What if, just try it on. Try it on. Thought exercise. Play with me here. Play like children play. Deadly seriously. What if? What if? What if? What if? Just try it on. Just try it on. What if you are entirely 150%, a billion percent, infinity percent responsible for everything you do? What then? What if you own it all? What if you have no excuses, no dominoes, no determinism, no history, no needs of others, no fear? What if you are entirely responsible for your life? It's pretty fucking powerful. And that power exists whether you reject it or not. If you can lift a 50-pound weight, you can lift a 50-pound weight whether you choose to lift it or not. You can still do it. Try it on. Try it on for a day. Try it on for a week. Try it on for a month. You're 100% responsible. If you're tired and you choose to rest... You don't say, well, I had to rest, I was tired. Just try it in your mind. Say, I choose to rest. I've decided to rest. Not, oh, I'm so tired, I've got to go lie down. Just even in your head, I've got to, I have to, I must. No, 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 no! An infinity times infinity times no. I can't eat, I'm hungry. No. Oh, I've got to get up. Time to go to work. Nope. Don't have to get up. Don't have to go to work. You choose. You can choose to. You can weigh the costs and benefits. You can choose to. Oh, i got to call my mom back. She left a message. No, you don't. You can choose to call back. You can choose not to call back. But you don't have to do anything except breathe and then die. And you don't even have to breathe. <laughs> Hope you will. I recommend it. Just try it on. Try it on for a day. Catch how many times you say to yourself, I must, I have to, I gotta. I'm obligated, it's my duty. I must, I have to, blah, blah, blah. Just try it. 
try to see how many times you program yourself with a lack of choice. Oh, I, I got to diet. I gained 10 pounds. No, you don't. Oh, I got to work out. I haven't worked out in two days. No, you don't. Try it. Try not programming yourself like you're banging a recalcitrant computer. Just try it. Try it. You will be shocked how often you strip free will from your life. You will be shocked. It's the most powerful thing that I can give to you is self-ownership. It's self-ownership. Try not saying I have to, I must. But I choose. Try it. Just try it. See what happens to your life. If everything is a choice. My wife can choose to leave me tomorrow. You can choose. My entire audience, everyone who's listening to this, anywhere across the world, across time, 10,000 years from now or right now, everyone can choose to turn me off right now. Everyone here in this audience can choose to stop listening, to never donate another penny, to never support what it is that I'm doing. I'm fully aware of that. I have some influence over that, the quality of the topics, the quality of my presentation, the quality of my responses, the passion and precision of what it is that I talk about. I have some influence over that. I obviously aim to provide quality. I aim to provide value, and I ask for value in return. And I'm trying to give you a silver platter called your entire life. Your life. Silver platter time. Here's a gift to you. It's called you. It's a mirror that doesn't just reflect but animates. I'm trying to give in you the golden ghost of free will. Life immaterial. Life beyond physics. Life beyond cause. Life beyond dominoes. Life beyond your childhood. You can choose everything. And you do. I'm not, you can, and you do. It's like saying you can be subject to gravity. You are subject to gravity. You are choosing everything. You are choosing everything. And you can abandon it. You can say dominoes and history and, well, I wasn't socialized, so I'm barred from these prof- No, it's all bullshit. It's all a lie. You can choose anything. Hey, I can choose to be a singer. Won't be a very successful singer. I can choose to be a singer. I can choose that. I choose not to be a singer. Well, you don't even have a good voice. Still choosing. It's what uh, Jim Morrison said to the keyboardist. I'm not a good singer. He's like, you ever hear Bob Dylan? It doesn't matter. I'm trying to uh, give you this gift, this gift called you. And I'll tell you this too, looking backwards from the end, right? Which which is an important thing to do. Kind of getting vivid meeting him out. I'm much closer to the end than to the beginning. Look back at the end. How much of your life will you consider deeply and richly lived if you pretended you didn't have a choice? All those times you pretended you didn't have a choice, that it was just physics, that it was just inevitable, that it, I had to have to, I had a bad financial thing, I got to move in with my parents. Because I'm telling you, man, when you're at the end of your life and you're like, oh shit, the only thing I have to do is die because I'm mortal. That's the only thing I have to do. Everything else was a huge choice. Everything else was an infinite choice. 
right? If your heart is currently failing and you want to live another year, six months, day, or hour, you will be denied by nature. You will not get your wish. No matter how desperately you want it, your heart is stopping, you're going to die. That, okay, then that's a have to. Living with your parents because you had financial difficulties, that's not a have to like dying from your heart stopping. That's a have to. And I'm trying to tell you, once you see that have to, you will look back upon your entire life and say, holy shit, did I give up a whole bunch of things, absolutes and power over me that had no power and nothing over me. Nothing. You hit those absolutes, you will look back and you'll say, holy shit, I imposed the absolutes of death and mortality and time and fatality on my life when I had all the choices in the known universe. And you do, you have all the choices in the known universe. You hit that final black scythe decapitation of your existence. Okay, I'm, I grant you that. Your heart stopped. I have to die. Can't disagree with you there. That you have to do. That you will do. That's beyond your will. You're dead. Mr. Kurtz. Everything else is a choice. And I don't want you to get near the end of your life and you say, holy shit, I'm going to die. I have no choice about that. Oh my God, I had all these choices back then and I, I pretended that it was like death. I pretended that it was like mortality. I pretended like you can't go back within time, but you can choose to live with your parents or not. I can't choose to be 20 again, but I can choose who the hell is in my life and who's not. Just choose. Shake off this rusted armor of incapacity. I'm begging you. Because when you choose and you don't let other people's determinism separate you from your choices, worm its way in and detach you like a decapitation from your own life and your own body, when you don't let people do that, when you vividly choose your life, you liberate the living shit out of other people. And they'll hate you for it sometimes, and they'll love you for it sometimes, but it's better to be loved and hated by doing the right thing than yawned out for doing nothing. See, when you say, this is why I'm so passionate about this, when you say to my audience, well, I've had a financial tough times, I have to live with my abusive parents, you're spreading this goo, this sagging, this spineless jellyfish inevitability. I won't, no, won't do it. Won't have you do it. You can't do that to my audience. Won't let you do that to my audience. Won't let you do that to yourself. Bad people want you to believe that what you do is not your choice. So that they can, sorry, see if they can get you to cede your free will, they'll scoop it up and use it to control you. Well, you got to go to college. No, you don't. No, you don't. Especially when colleges are currently self-destroying through an opposition to meritocracy. By the time you come out of college, college's reputation will be destroyed. Choose, choose, choose. It's happening anyway. You either get, I mean, you get on the train or you don't. Train goes anyway. All right. Hi, Steph. What do you think of the key is to self-acceptance and non 
self-judgment outside of all the practical things you can do to improve your life, like appearance, physique, financial situation, character, etc. Not self-acceptance is to accept that you choose. Self-judgment? Why would you not want to judge yourself? <laughs> See, you think that if you consciously don't judge yourself, you're immune from being judged? No. If I eat too much, my body judges me and says, oh, okay, well, we're getting excess fat. I get, I get fatter. Oh, I don't want to judge myself as fat. It's like, well, if I've gained weight, I've gained weight. If I've, you know, I've got a muffin top and my pants won't close, I've gained weight. I don't want to judge myself. It's like, well, reality's judging already. The facts are judging already. The judgment has come and gone. I can either acknowledge the judgment or not. Nothing wrong with self-judgment. It's going to happen anyway. We judge people all the time. We judge ourselves all the time. When I'm giving a speech, like I think I just gave a pretty good fiery speech, when I'm giving a speech, I'm judging it as I'm giving it. Is this right? Is this good? Is this precise? Is it too long? Is it, have I repeated myself? Have I, can I move on? Judge, judge, judge. All the time. I've been doing this for 40 plus years. Forty plus years, I'm still judging how well I'm doing, and you, you can try to not judge yourself. I think it's you're looking for a nirvana that doesn't exist. Steph, on the listener question earlier about an atheist partner or a Christian partner, how do you reconcile these differing beliefs before getting married and having children? Like in a practical sense, can negotiate to hold both values. Kids go to church at Christmas and Easter, but don't go every Sunday as an example of a negotiated position. Well, I think it's going to mess up children to give them opposing methodologies for truth. Truth is reason and evidence. Truth is faith. I think you're going to have to pick a lane, my friend. It's going to be confusing. Now, if children grow up with faith... That's at least consistent. If they grow up with reason and evidence, that's consistent and, I believe, more accurate philosophically. But if they're given both, it's very confusing for children to be given opposing methodologies for truth and virtue. I didn't get married to the woman who wouldn't let the children choose religion if they wanted as an adult. Hi, Steph. Why do some people believe there is no such thing as human nature? Oh, because they want to control you, and they don't want you to offer up any rational resistance. People who believe our oh, tribalism is not a thing, and right, no, because they want to control you. They want to control you. They'll say you have no nature, so they can impose their ideology, and you won't resist based upon your instincts. Don't you think therapists who work with kids is like working with people who are mandated to go to therapy? They are like a captive audience. If a therapist sides with a kid, the kid will get further abused. Yeah, I mean, a lot of therapists will work, I don't know, this is my guess, right? I think a lot of therapists will focus on children because the children won't make any complaints, won't cause any trouble, will just kind of go along, whereas the parents can cause trouble and register large complaints and so on, right? So... Uh, and it's not like people who are mandated to go to therapy, let's say that you have an issue and you, you you punched Mickey Mouse at Disneyland or whatever, however tempting that might be these days. Let's say in, oh, the court says you've got to go to anger management. Okay, that's not like a kid because the kid didn't do anything wrong to be in the situation. The kid didn't make a choice. The kid's just born into a messed up family. So it's not the same. 
So, uh, Steph, you mentioned an interest in doing the Truth About Pirates episode of the Truth About series in a previous AMA. Would it be cheeky to incentivize you to make this happen with a tip? Either way, thanks for all you do and enjoy the tip. Uh, thank you. I, um, I'm somewhat for sale. <laughs> my integrity is not for sale, but my priorities could be. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you for these constant reminders, Steph. There needs to be a book of these. Well, feel free to transcribe and let me know, and I'll put it out in print. Uh, I was made very depressed with all that anger turned inwards. That abuse caused me to become passive. I'm working to not give in to that and change my life for the better. Being alone, broke, middle-aged sucks. I want to break that cycle. I just need your metaphorical butt-kicking to stop waste, waiting and take action now. Well, good. I'm glad that helps. Nothing has improved my life more than keeping my distance from my narcissistic parents. I'm sure that's true, and I appreciate the um, testimony. Uh, my father did that, left me with all of his problems to go have an affair on the other side of the country. Came back and expected me to house him. Stalked me into going to into work where he knew I got coffee anymore every morning. Yeah, it's tough, you know. I mean, when, when you believe that people owe you resources, just because you're alive, people owe you. You make terrible decisions based on that. You make terrible decisions based on that. I mean, if you think you can just snap your fingers and heal your lungs from smoking, you're much more likely to smoke. So. And, and people are just like, this, it's kind of fundamentally incomprehensible. And, and look, I have some sympathy for your father. I really do, because your father was raised like you'd never say no to parents. You have to give every resource to your parents. You have to honor their mother and their father. Give everything to your parents. You can't ever morally judge your parents. You can't ever evaluate the quality of your relationship or the quality of their character. You just have to give, give, give. And this is why parents send their kids to be culturally programmed because part of the cultural programming is always obey and respect your parents, right? So they, they hand the kids over to the state and the state in return says, or the church, whatever, sometimes, and they just said, well, you got to give everything to your parents, right? So it's, a, it's an unholy bargain. It's a creepy bargain. You know, I was talking to this couple today, my daughter and I were out and about talking with this couple. And, you know, this came up around peer pressure, right? That the the parents say to the kids, well, don't, don't just succumb to peer pressure. Don't just do stuff because everyone else is doing it. Don't just do stuff because someone tells you to. Well, he did it too. Well, if he jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, would you jump off the Brooklyn Bridge too? Just think for yourself. Don't succumb to peer pressure. Well, of course I took the vaccine. <laughs> yeah, good luck with your authority, right? The truth about procrastination. There are no have-tos anywhere whatsoever. That's right. Everything is a choice. Saying I have to becomes ordering yourself around, which is actually a parent's ordering you around, which you do badly. Yeah, I have to, I must, I've got to, blah, blah, blah. No, you don't. Nope. Well, man's got to eat. Nope. No, you don't. There are consequences to not eating. Don't recommend them, but you don't have to. Choose to eat. Right. I've been working lately, just, you know, in my own sort of particular self-improvement thing, I've been working lately on, I'm just going to wait till I'm really, really hungry to eat. Because, you know, when I was a kid, and I, you know, I hate to sort of blame, it's nothing to blame on my childhood, it was so long ago, but when I was a kid, I had to eat more because food was scarce. I, I was hungry quite a bit. Food was scarce. 
So I'd go to some buffet. I remember, I remember when my uh, friend's mom took me to Ponderosa. It was my first time that I was at a buffet. I could eat anything I wanted. I remember that was the first time I had chickpeas. Man, I love chickpeas. Love chickpeas. I get, and I just, I stuffed myself because I'm like, it's what you do. It's what you do when you're hungry as a kid. You, anytime you can eat, right? Now, I don't overeat, you know, I'm not overweight and all of that. But, you know, I'm curious. What if I just wait till I'm super hungry to eat? What then? I don't have to eat after people, because I, you know, maybe had a bit of a story. It's like, well, you know, if I do a show and I get hungry and I, you know, my blood sugar, it's like, that's, you know, I can survive. Like, <laughs> if you're a parent, everywhere you go, it's like these endless trays of snacks, you know? <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, we, we would go the whole day barely eating if we were out and about, right? Out in the woods or whatever, right? And now it's like kids can't play soccer for 45 minutes without a tray of cut up oranges and shit. <laughs> what? Why? What are you talking about? Bizarre. Uh, I just get responses from the person uh, about it. So I didn't say that I have to stay with them. I have made steps to try to get out. They think they own me. They know they, I know they don't. I know that I chose to stay with them, but I made a choice that was very difficult to get out of and costly. I do not have people in my life that care about me enough to help me. Confronting them will be dangerous. They are violent. Healing seems dangerous but it seems like I need to do that to get out. Uh, of course, I have massive sympathy for the difficulties, and I'm not passionate about this topic because I wish to do you any kind of negative, right? So um, I'm happy to go back and check, right? This is the, the plus of these, right? Happy to go back and check. Did you say that you have to stay with them? Unfortunately, I still live with them because I face financial troubles. And I am dependent on them right now. Yeah. So the because is the determinism. Because I faced financial troubles, I still live with my parents. I am dependent on them right now. Yeah. So the because, because you face financial troubles, therefore, right? If then, right? If you face financial troubles, then you live with your parents, right? There's not a choice, right? Did you choose? Did you make any choices which resulted in financial troubles? Yep. Did you choose to live with your parents? Yep. So yeah, no, you... You said, I live with my parents because I face financial troubles. Yeah, that's determinism. It's saying because of the financial troubles like dominoes, you have to live with your parents. No, nope, it's a choice. So uh, I was not, uh, glad that rant was not, I mean, it's a good rant either way, but I'm glad it wasn't based on a faulty foundation. Yes, you may not be aware of this language in yourself, but uh, it is, uh, it is a fact that you are programming yourself, right? You are programming yourself. I'd rather have my own failures, than the success of determinism. I'd rather have my own screw-ups than success that comes from self-programming. I'd rather lose through free will than win through abandoning self-ownership. There's no winning there at all. Anything that you win is very, very temporary and will come with a great cost. The cost first cost is being loved, right? No more resentful to-do list in my life, says somebody who's <laughs> who sent me a dollar. Wow, so I really did liberate you from resenting your life and feeling run and bullied and owned by an entire life, and that's worth a dollar. I think you're worth more than that, honestly, because you're valuing your freedom at a dollar, and that's not very uh, 
self-flattering, to put it mildly. Uh, it seems that you are pretty focused on empowering the individual. It seems that you are pretty focused on empowering the individual. I don't mean to sound overly kvetchy, but that's kind of annoying. Pretty focused on empowering the individual. I'm either spitting facts or I'm not. Right? It's either a fact that you make choices or it's not. It's either a fact that you own yourself or it isn't. It's not focused on empowering the individual. I can't empower you. I can't empower. I'm not you. I can't fill you full of light. I can't make you get up and exercise. I can't inhabit your body and have you eat well. I, I can't teach you how to wink by controlling your facial muscles. I can't empower anyone. I can remind people that they have power, whether they choose to use it or not, but I can't empower someone. Did you ever map out a taxonomy of self-empowerment, for example, when organizing your thoughts on how best to help or teach your daughter as she grows up, etc.? Increasing levels of knowledge or perspective. Schools don't even teach basic personality psychology, mental literacy, for example. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I don't blame the world for what happens to me. I don't blame the world for what happens to me. Right? So if, if I say, well, I was deplatformed because, because people are bad, and they'll say, well, I was quote, bad, because I was getting a lot of pressure from my boss. It's like, no, no, no. I'm 100% responsible, and so is everyone else. I mean, it, it, you could say it's kind of a passive way. to. If I take uh, ownership away from other people by pretending that things are just happening to me, I take ownership away from myself, therefore I take ownership away from other people, and therefore they no longer feel their conscience as keenly, because they can swamp their conscience, they can bury it, they can subdue it, they can silence it, at least temporarily, which makes it worse in the long run, they can subdue their own conscience by pretending that they don't have any self-ownership, that they, if I say, well, I'm not to blame for this, then they can say, well, I'm not to blame for this either, and pfft, everyone's uh, controlled by giant levers at the top. No, thank you. So yeah, just taking ownership, right? I made my choices, and I don't regret them. Because the only thing that you can really regret is not making a choice. There's no choice that you can regret. I mean, outside of UPP, right? The only things you'll really regret, I guarantee you. I'm old enough now to have some authority in this. But the only choices I've seen people really, really regret are the choices they refused to make or avoided making or pretended they couldn't make. Hey, Steph, good to see you're still doing well and fighting for the truth. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very nice to have you back around. Lovely. Uh, is it wrong for parents to argue in front of their children? Or should parents show that disagreements can happen and show children both the arguments and the resolution? Yeah, I don't think you want to hide disagreements and arguments. I mean, you obviously don't yell, don't raise your voice, don't insult. This is, we all know this, right? But no, of course, yeah, I mean, disagreeing is nothing that's shameful or bad. I mean, it's a natural part of life and it's an opportunity for intimacy and growth. And Right? It's lovely. I've lost and kept off 80 pounds fasting daily, absolutely in line with nature. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, somebody said, yep, did the same at buffets. Golden coral ain't what it used to be. Oh, is that a buffet? All right. What do you think of the movie 12 Angry Men? Always seemed to dissolve in the gray postmodernism to me. The message I got was that reason and evidence could prove uncertainty, but not certainty. It's been a long time since I've seen it. So I like I like the movies that, that puncture just going along with the flow and thinking for yourself. But 
uh, if it's if all that you can achieve is reasonable doubt, then it's 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 like postmodernism. It destroys more than it builds, and that's very very punishing. Oh, somebody, you, you thought you sent ten? I'm still learning this app. Sorry. Uh, uh, no worries then. I I uh, I retract what I say. Um, but uh, all right. I held back from getting in a fight with someone trying to provoke me by destroying my property hard, but I think it was best not to get into the fight. Yeah, getting into a fight is a choice, and I would recommend these days, like these days, I would recommend not getting into physical fights. Uh, it's, um, uh, it's usually a trap, right? Because uh, self-defense, uh, particularly if you're white, right, self-defense is not a thing that's really allowed anymore. All right, look at that. We have really cooked with gas tonight uh thanks everyone so much for dropping by tonight a great pleasure boy you guys really do bring out the best in me and i hugely hugely appreciate it if you um are a subscriber or you've just become a subscriber please check out the uh, show that i did today called why artists are leftists why most artists are leftists uh, is really really good and will explain a lot i've got another bunch of stuff coming up i've really been cooking with gas as far as my brain goes for new theories they're still coming fast and furious so um they're the best is yet to come i guarantee you thank you so much for dropping by freedomain.com slash donate to help out the show i need it and i think you will feel very good for doing it i think it's an honorable thing to do given the value and risks that i've taken the value i provide and the risks that i've taken thanks everyone so much have a Beautiful, beautiful night. I'll talk to you soon.